But we are on week eight. I think we got one more week in us of emotional intelligence. Week eight. Then we can be done with that. That'll be good. Week eight. Um, and the concept we've been dealing with is the inner battle for your emotions is a battle that you have a right to win. The inner battle for your emotions is a battle you have a right to win. Um, we've covered that quite a bit. I won't belabor it too much. But this is something that the first service needed to hear, and so I guess I better say it. We've been reading a bunch of scriptures dealing with this, uh, dealing with the, the whole situation. And let me ask you a question. What word is most powerful? Your word, the word of God, or just somebody else's word? Which word is most powerful? Your word, the word of God, or the word somebody else speaks? Which one's the most powerful? It's the one that you believe. If you believe that you're just a rotten piece of garbage that God could never love, that's your word. It overrides the eternal truth of God, which is that you are a wonderful creation that is created for eternity and dearly loved by God. It overrides that because you believe it. The word that you believe is most powerful in your life. That's why you need to believe this word. This is the word that will bring you life. What other people say, boy, may or may not. Depends on what they say, right? What you say may or may not. Depends on what you say. This word is a word you can trust that if you believe will bring light to your life. And so I say that so that you can know the inner battle for your emotions is a battle you have a right to win. Because if you believe this word, you will win that battle. We talked about Philippians 2.5, which says, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This should be taken as a promise. Our attitude can be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're told to have our attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to have your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus? How much fear would you have in your life if your attitude was the same as that of Christ Jesus? How much hopelessness would you have if your attitude was the same as that of Christ Jesus? How much anxiety would you have? How much self-loathing would you have if your attitude was the same as that of Christ Jesus? Oh man, to have that attitude. What a blessing that would be. Let us reach after that with all of what we have. We've talked about Daniel Goldman's five elements of emotional intelligence so that we can see what our makeup is and try to make progress with that. He's got five elements. Number one, self-awareness, understanding what's going on. Why are you feeling what you're feeling? What are you feeling? Number two, self-regulation. You know, you need to regulate. Uh, have you ever just started getting angry and you knew you had to not get angry so you decided to take a deep breath? Self-regulation. You know what works for me? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give you a self-regulation skill here. This is just straight from me. I didn't get this is this is real, this is big stuff here. All right. Think think of something that makes you mad. Okay. Now raise your eyebrows as high as you possibly can. Are you still mad? Is it 
Isn't that amazing? Just, you, you know, take a deep breath, raise up your eyebrows real high, and all of a sudden your attitude will start getting better, okay? There's a self-regulation technique that I learned. It's a, it's a good one. So self-regulation is, uh, is the second one of the elements of emotional intelligence. The third one is internal motivation. Looking at this world and seeing things that are worth doing and doing them. Not being forced to do stuff. Clean your room. I don't want to clean your room. I don't want to clean your room. Okay. That's external motivation. You know, oh, the creditors are coming after me. I guess I better go to work so I can get paid so I can get these people off my back. External motivation. When we see things in life that are just worth doing, that's internal motivation. We're excited about it. We have a, a desire to go forward in those things. Internal motivation. Then number four is empathy, the ability to understand what other people are thinking and what other people are feeling. And then five is social skills, the ability to work with people and uh, work in groups, build rapport, that sort of a thing, putting into practice all the other things that we've learned. So those are the five elements of emotional intelligence. We've looked at Jesus and He is perfect. Perfect. And we want to be like Jesus. Last week, we covered Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. And we looked at three lessons from Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. Lesson number one, anger is not an excuse to sin. Strong emotions are not an excuse to sin. We can still override that emotion. You have been made in the image of God. That means you are creative. You are able to override your natural instincts. You have that spirit being in you that can override it. Anger is not an excuse. Heightened emotions is not an excuse. In your anger, do not sin. Lesson number one, anger is not an excuse. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Lesson number two, deal with it. You're going to have to put your hands on the problem, acknowledge it, and deal with it. Find a way to solve the problem. Deal with it. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Lesson number three, do not give the devil a foothold. If we sin in our anger or whatever emotion it may be, and we don't deal with it, we'll do it again. And we'll do it again, and that will develop a habit. That habit will be something the enemy can exploit in our lives. Like for example, um, let's say when you get frustrated, you use the name of the Lord in vain. Right? Well, you shouldn't do that, right? Don't be, don't be using the, the Lord as a curse word. But you get frustrated, you hit, your, you hit your thumb with a hammer, there it comes. Okay, you just, you just ignore it, you don't worry about it, then you stub your toe, and there it comes again. Then now you can't get your car started, and there it comes again. Now you got a habit. And if you start, you know, trying to connect with God, but you're still using the name of the Lord in vain, now the devil's got a foothold in your life, and as you, how close are you gonna to get to the Lord? You're using his name in vain. It's gonna pull you down. So that's just a, I mean, there's a lot worse. Well, I don't know. How do you say that? There's other things that can have more immediate impact in your life than that. But that has a very significant spiritual impact. All kinds of different examples of that sort of thing where we build a habit that's based on sinning in emotion, not dealing with it, and then that gives the devil an opportunity to take us down. 
because he can exploit that habit. That's what we learned last week. We talked about Cain. Um, if you're not going to sin in your emotions, what are you going to do? What are our other options? The Psalm 4.4 basically tells us, in your anger do not sin. The word translated anger here just means to shake with intense emotion. It could be anger. It could be fear. Does it, you know, could be anxiety. That word, the Greek word in Ephesians means anger. This one means just to shake. Um, in your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So what is if Psalm 4.4 says, take a time out? That's what Psalm 4.4 says. Okay, you, you, there's big stuff going on. You're all worked up. Hey, you need to find a quiet place. What, what just happened here? What's going on? What, what occurred? Why did I respond that way? Search your heart. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So we need to look in here. We need to learn. We need to grow. Then we can deal with it, not develop those habits that the enemy can exploit. This week, the eye is the lamp of the body. Let's pray. We'll get into new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your holy Scriptures. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Father, that You don't just leave us down here to wander around and do the best we can, but You guide us by Your Spirit and You guide us by Your Word. Help us to grab hold of what You've got for us today. Lord, I know each one of us needs a different touch from You. We need something different. So I pray by Your Spirit that You would just connect with us what we need, each one of us individually. Bless us in that way. And Lord, bless our time. Help us to get what we need to get from You today to take a step forward in serving You and understanding You better. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The eye is the lamp of the body. When you look out at the world, what do you see? When you look out, what do you see? Do you see drudgery, pain, uh, a, what do they call that thing where you're, you're in a you're in a trench? You know you've been you're in a rut. You're stuck in a rut. You can't get out. There's no hope. You're just gonna wait for time to pass. Maybe you'll get to retire, but boy, finances aren't looking good. I'll probably just have to work until I can't function anymore, and then I'll die. You know what do you see when you look out at your life? What do you see? The eye is the lamp of the body. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up believing the things of God. When I would look at a tree, a big oak tree, I would see evolution. And I would say, wow. Random chance in billions of years created this magnificent oak tree because that huge flaming ball of gas, you know, however far away it is, Somehow this thing figured out how to eat that stuff and turn it into a tree. That's amazing. That's what I saw. And I was quite astonished and impressed. Now I believe in the Lord. I believe in creation. When I see an oak tree, I think, our God is magnificent. Our God is incredible. Look what He has done. It's amazing. But see how our eyes affect what's inside of us. Does looking at an oak tree bring praises to God? 
or bring a realization that, well, a lot of stuff just sort of happens. Praises to God is better. (laughs) Praises to God is true. The eye is the lamp of the body. When you look out, what do you see? Let me throw a phrase out there. Because I think this can be taken in a variety of different ways. And I want you just to think, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I throw out the phrase, biblical marriage? When I say biblical marriage, what do you see? Do you see domineering men and belittled women? Or my wife said, how about domineering women and belittled men? Like, I don't know. You ever see that guy in a grocery store, you know, he's about this tall and the wife is just yelling at him and he's just thinking, oh man, he's getting smaller and smaller as the years go by. It's a bad life. When I say biblical marriage, do you think of a modern day political struggle? Is that what you picture? Do you picture hypocrites who should mind their own business? What do you picture when I say biblical marriage? Do you picture epic love? Do you picture men who are willing to take the spiritual initiative over their families and lead them into a stronger relationship with the living God? Do you picture trust, respectability, and unity? Do you picture that? What you see when you think of biblical marriage is going to affect what you can have in your life. What you can receive. If you think biblical marriage is just carte blanche for the guy to be a jerk, you're going to have a rough marriage. It's going to be a bad life. If you see Ephesians chapter 5, then you're going to be able to grab a hold of something beautiful. Something that's life-giving for everybody and that is an example to the world. What you see will affect the life you get to live. Now, how about if I said church? What would you picture? Different people picture different things. How about God? They had little kids draw pictures of God. I, I don't know who, somebody had little kids draw pictures of God. They pretty much all drew pictures of a very, very old man with a big beard that looked angry. Is that God? How you see God is going to affect your relationship with God. How about the Holy Spirit? What if I said the Holy Spirit? What are you going to picture? Lots of different things. Lots of different ideas. There's all kinds of different things. And what we see affects what we understand, affects how we interact with our world, it affects what we can have. Jesus talked about the eye as the lamp of the body in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Let's read Matthew chapter 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 20. We've got a little bit of context sandwiched in there. The eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So does Jesus want us to store up treasures for ourselves? Absolutely. He wants us to store them up in heaven. He wants us to be actively 
putting things in heaven for ourselves. Amen. Can you do that and store up, uh, say, a retirement fund on earth at the same time? Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead and, and fill up your 401k. Nothing wrong with that. Can you start a business and make $10 million and still be in the middle of God's will? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Can you make money your God and be in God's will? No. Absolutely impossible. Because our God does not like to compete. There is one. So, he says, hey, store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Is this a big deal, our ability to see? If our eyes are good, our whole body will be full of light. If our eyes are bad, our body will be full of darkness. And Jesus says, how great is that darkness? If the light within you is darkness, if we see the world through a tainted, cynical, dark lens, the light within us will be darkness, and how great will that darkness be? Then Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can you serve both God and money? So quit trying. <laughs> Amen? Quit trying. Can you have money and serve God? Absolutely. You can have a billion dollars and serve God. It's not about how much you have. It's about who you're serving. Money makes a great servant, but a horrible master. Keep money as your servant. It's easier to have it as a servant if you've got a lot of it. If you don't have any, money's going to make a lot of decisions for you, isn't it? It's going to control you if you don't have any. If you've got plenty, you can control it. So make money your servant. Make Jesus your master. All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Here's another situation. So Jesus is talking about here in Matthew. Again, what do we see? Do we see money as most important or do we see God as most important? If we see God as most important, we're going to have light inside of us. If we see money as most important, it's going to be, it's going to be darker. It's going to be more difficult. Luke 11.33, no one puts a, a lamp, uh, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand. So what is Jesus talking about here? You ever sing the song, you know, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I learned that song wrong. I learned it in Country Gospel Church. They sang it different than the whole rest of the world. So I love this little light of mine, but it's different than everybody else. So I feel like I missed something. Um, this little light of mine. This What Jesus is talking about here is that the church, the believers, have a message to bring to the whole world. We are the light of the world. We are the ones who are to bring the truth of God to the entire planet. Amen? That's our job. No one lights a lamp and puts it uh, in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Jesus says, I didn't come here to light a fire that wouldn't show, but to light a fire that would be seen over the whole earth. This is something that needs to, to be visible. Put on a stand 
the power of God, the, the glory of the gospel needs to be put up. You need to let your little light shine. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Where your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. So what Jesus is saying is, we are the light of the world. We better not be darkness. Has the church ever been darkness instead of light? I think that's been the case. I mean, not 100% of the time, but way more than it should be. Where in the name of Christianity, in the name of God, in the name of religion, bad things have happened. Darkness has come instead of light. Jesus warned them 2,000 years ago. He says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it then that you represent the living God in the right way, and that you shine the light of Christ, not having darkness in yourself and perpetuating that darkness. What's the good news in, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness? What's the good news in that verse? If he says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness, we have some control over this. It's not just the eyes we're born with, and oh, I just seem to see see the bad things, and I, I guess i got to... Uh, what, do, what do they call that? All the people with critical spirits, they tell me that, that they have... Uh, what do they tell me they have? Where's my wife at? What's the spiritual gift? Discernment. They always tell me they have discernment. Like, no, you have a critical spirit. You just, you just see the darkness in the world and you are fascinated by it and you like to talk about it. That's not discernment. That's a critical spirit. You know, just understand what's going on there. He says, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. That means we have something to do with this. What affects how we see? What causes changes in the ways that we see things? Um, We're going to talk about three things real quick that affect the things that we see uh, or the way we see the world. First thing is past experiences. Past experiences will change you, right? Have you ever been betrayed? There's a before and after there, isn't it? You see the world one way, you're more trusting, you, you're, you're more open, you get betrayed, you see the world in a different way. Depending on the severity of it, it may, it may change a lot. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, 12. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. What Jesus is saying is there's something beautiful in here, but the darkness of the world, when it hits a person, can change the thing on the inside. The way we see the world can be changed by our experiences. If they're quite bad... They can, it can turn us dark. My mother grew up in the Depression era. She was born just at the tail end. She is very convinced that a Cool Whip container is a treasure. Cool Whip containers are washed, carefully stacked, and saved. We have enough Cool Whip containers for North America. I mean, like it, we're, we're good. Isn't that, why is she like that? Because she grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, in a depression era where if you had something, you made the most of it because you don't have much and you don't know 
if you're going to need something, and it's no fun when you need something and you don't have it. And so she learned, hey, this thing can be used for something. We're going to keep it. And it was, it was necessary at that time. Now it's a different world. Now Cool Whip containers are not quite so valuable. But, if you want more, I know where you can get some. We got, we got all kinds of stuff. You know, all, all your frozen foods go in the Cool Whip containers. And it's, it's good, but those past experiences affect how you see things, right? They affect, wow, look at that cool container. We better keep that. That's worth investing time and energy in and preserving it. So past experiences affect how we see. Current, number two, the current status of your inner person, your your spiritual condition affects how you see. Um, you've had highs and lows, right? Spiritual highs and lows. You've had times where you just you just feel connected with God, where your heart is big and you're able to embrace a lot. And then there's times where you're stagnated and you may be backsliding a little bit and, and your heart is more hardened and you you see the world differently in those two different states, don't you? That's what it's talking about in uh, Titus 1.15. The Apostle Paul writes, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. To the pure all things are pure. Why do little kids believe when you tell them about Santa Claus? Because they've got a pure heart. They can't imagine someone as wonderful as you would tell them something that's not true. You know, that just wouldn't cross their mind. They're pure. Don't, don't exploit that purity in the wrong ways. <laughs> don't, don't, don't make a game out of that. Don't teach them that big people lie. You know, it's okay to enjoy the, the seasons and, and, you know, have fun with the way things work and all that stuff. And, you ask Santa for presents, that's fine, whatever. Don't perpetuate the reality of it unduly, or you, you can be setting them up for some trouble. To the pure, all things are pure. That's why little kids believe things. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. I took a group of teenagers to Louisiana uh, after Hurricane Katrina. And we had... Um, I mean, we had, I had me a good group of teenagers. I had to get permission from parole officers and the whole bit, you know, like, we're going to leave the state. Like, okay, well, you sign this stuff and whatever. And so we went down to Louisiana. And this one kid was like, hey, you see that cook? We had Long John Silver. He said, you see that cook? You see that guy over there? That guy's going to walk over there and this is going to happen. And the guy walks over there, thing hangs like, that was just a drug deal. You just saw a drug deal. I'm like, really? Wow, how'd you know that was going to happen? Like, you know, it was obvious. He could see it. That's his world. You know, he could see what was going on. He knew what was happening. Takes one to know one, right? If it's your world, you can see it. If you uh, have been corrupted in various ways, you can see those things out there. You're aware of it. Um, so... What we've experienced 
and the status of our inner person affect how we see. Third one, our emotional development affects how we see. Do you have to teach a three-year-old to be selfish? It just comes naturally because they haven't, they haven't developed past realizing that they're not the center of the universe. They're pretty sure they are. I mean, the universe they're familiar with, they're the center of it. Well, uh, you know, as we learn and as we grow and we develop emotionally, we start to see things differently and you realize, oh, I'm not the center of the universe. If you still think you're the center of the universe, sorry to break that to you, but you're not. I think as far as the eye is the lamp of the body, if we're to look at those five elements of emotional intelligence, I think the third one, the internal motivation one, is the eye is the lamp of the body. Do you see things worth doing in life? Or are you just sort of forced to do what you need to do? Do you look at at this life as, I can't believe I get to be one of the people and live one of the lives. This is awesome. I remember, again, as a non-Christian kid, coming home from school and they talked about the world population or something, and there's like billions of people on the earth. And I thought, there's billions of people on the earth. And I'm not any of them. But here I am. You know, I'm seeing my hands right now. I'm having this. I get to be one of the people. Of all the billions, I'm not any of them. But here I am. I don't know how I got here, but this is great. I get to be one of the people. And I just thought it was awesome. You know? Do you see life as an opportunity? Or do you see it as a drudgery? As an obligation? As something that you're waiting for to be over? This is awesome. How did we get here? You know, it's just God. Thank you, God. We get to live. That's internal motivation. How do our eyes get better? If, if we're to see to it that the light within us is not darkness, if this is so important that the way we see the world, the way we see our relationships, the way we see our opportunities in life, if, if it's so important that it's the difference between light or darkness within us, we want to get better at it, right? In the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul was dealing with some people that were squabbling and fighting with each other. They made the Bible. They were named. You know, tell this person and this person to quit squabbling. Uh, they were named in chapter 4 of Philippians. That's not how you want to make the Bible, but they made the Bible. And uh, he tells them a strategy for getting their eyes to work better. Because you know when you're fighting with somebody, you see them in a particular light. You see their faults. You see their mistakes. You see the parts of their character that just make you sick. And you just are like, what a rotten person. And you have darkness in your heart because of how you see that person. Right? So how can you get that better? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You don't really choose what crosses your mind, do you? But you choose what you dwell on. You choose what you meditate on. You choose what you let stay there. If you 
let circle in your mind, oh yeah, here's what she said on Facebook. Here, oh, what a rotten human being. And you just keep dwelling on it. It gains momentum and gets stronger and stronger and pretty soon they're the worst person in the history of the world. And you feel justified in doing the damage you're about to do to them. Now you're bringing more darkness into the world. What Paul says is, don't see with those eyes. See with different eyes. Make up your mind to look for and train your eyes to see whatever is true. Is he looking for you to see something that's false? Rose-colored glasses that put you into a la-la land of, of denial. Is that what he's looking for? No. What's true? True is, it's still, we want to stay true. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. It says, find those things. You look for them. You train your eyes to see those things and you think about it. That's going to change and train your eyes to see properly so that you can have light within you instead of darkness. Don't take that too far, of course, and go into denial, right? Oh, throw Matthew 10, 16 up there. I was going to skip that because of time. We're almost done. I'll watch me some football here shortly. How do you see a quarter to 12? 15 minutes before kickoff? <laughs> what? All right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Matthew, let's get back on track here. Matthew 10, 16. Jesus says to his people, he's going to have go do ministry out in the world. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Is it possible to understand all the darkness of this world and be innocent? Be shrewd as snakes. Understand this dark world. Don't let yourself get taken advantage of. Don't don't be so naive that you're just going to wander into any dumb thing. Be shrewd as a snake, but be innocent too. You can be shrewd, you can understand, you can be aware. Not naive, not in denial, and innocent. You don't participate in it. Right? But you're aware, you understand, you're smart, you're shrewd. You can be shrewd and innocent. All right. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close this thing off. What if you could see, if you looked out into this world, if you could see the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, and the praiseworthy things in your world? What if you could see that instead of the things that are false, foolish, unjust, sleazy, tainted, hypocritical, and messed up? What if instead of seeing all the messed up, icky stuff, you saw the admirable and praiseworthy stuff? What impact would that have on the inside? If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If you saw those good things through good eyes, how would you see your spouse? How would you see your boss? How would you see your teachers? How would you see your kids' as teachers? How would you see your friends? How would you see your future? How would you see your finances? How would you see the opportunities that this world has? If you could see through good eyes, how would you see Jesus? How would you see the church? How would you see worship? If you had good eyes, what would you see? 
how would you see yourself? If you could see whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, if you could see that, how would you see yourself? Would it be quite a bit different? When Jesus looks at you, what does He see? When Jesus looks at you, I should, maybe I'll say it this way. When Jesus looks at you, what does He see past? He's real good at seeing past to seeing something more important. He sees past the sin and the superficial. And you know what He sees when He looks at you? He sees someone worth dying for. Amen? He's proved that because He did that already. When He looks at you, He sees past all the mess and He sees someone worth dying for. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you. He knows you can make it. He knows you can conquer that thing. He knows you can get through it. He knows you can rise up. He believes in you. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Believe His Word. And He will bring you to that place. So let's pray. Prayer team is up here. They'll pray with you whatever need you have. If you've seen Jesus as the, uh, the figurehead of religion and not seeing Him as someone who loves you enough to die for you and you, you don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus, come pray with these people. They'll bring you through to that. They'll help you see Jesus the right way. If there's anything else that you need prayer for, they're here to pray with you, whatever that need may be. So let's pray together and close the service. Heavenly Father, we give You praise. Help us to see You with the right eyes. Help us to see You in Your glory. Help us to see Your plan. Help us to see Your truth. Help us to see the potential that we have in You and that others around us have in You. Give us eyes to see that that light may be in us and overflow to our world. Lord, bless us, each one of us, with eyes to see. We ask You for that. We see how important it is and we want to have eyes that see the right way. Give us eyes to see. Let us understand what you're talking about with that so that we can have that light within us. Father, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Help us to walk in your will and walk in your ways. Lord, encourage us and give us strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can come down for prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord tonight.